This is exactly right. Hi, I'm Erin Welsh. And I'm Erin Almond Updike, and we're the hosts of This Podcast Will Kill You on Exactly Right. We're back with our seventh season, which is bigger and better than ever. Because guess what? We're now a weekly show. This season, we're tackling everything from long COVID to norovirus, from the supplement industry to IVF, and so, so much more. New episodes drop every single Tuesday. Follow This Podcast Will Kill You wherever you get your podcasts. To my favorite murder. The podcast. Uh, where we uh, go over true crime cases that have happened in the history of man. Uh-huh. And starting from the Cro-Magnon period. That's right. All the way up through the Bible. <laughs> and beyond. <laughs> you know the important parts. You know the ones you, those, those ones you like. Yeah. Uh, that's what we're here to talk to you about and teach you. Yeah. Yeah, we teach you. There's so much teaching. Get your notepad out. Oh. There'll be a quiz on this. Oh, my God. Write down this info. We call it quote unquote information. Because <laughs> who knows if it's true or real? We don't for sure. You and know what's funny? The we're other. We're not going to check. We're, well, it, why would that be a part of it? Yes. Yeah. I, w- I actually had kind of like a weird recovered memory the other night of of the live show where I talked about the. Um, murderer who ha- was keeping all the bags of leaves in his um, oh. house and when you're like how come I didn't read this one I'm like I don't know because it's brand new <laughs> like full confidence <laughs> and it was like a 12 year old story there's those ones that I think about sometimes yeah the mistakes we've made and the paths we've traveled that we just keep tripping because guess what you're my favorite mistake <laughs> thank you you're welcome me <laughs> no oh <laughs> what what else do you need to know me nothing no not oh, you. Okay, i look oh. at you but i'm asking uh, okay america i get how this works and beyond nothing oh <laughs> <laughs> damn it not one thing oh figure shit. this out um our improv is off this week <laughs> we haven't been rehearsing no but still and we're nobodying instead of it i'm yeah, still anding <laughs> Isn't it still and? I'm still ending. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, yeah. Can I just say? This is the episode where we get sued uh, for too many music. Did you watch cues. the... Uh, touching your hand. Did you mm-hmm. watch the Elton John biopic? I have not seen that movie Okay, yet. you know how I hate movies and I'm a bad person to watch TV with because yes. I yell? Right. I fucking loved it. And I loved the <laughs> biopic of Freddie Mercury with What's-His-Face. Yeah, Remy Malek. Remy Malek. And I hate movies and I hate biopics because <laughs> they're so easy to make fun of. Yeah. But I was engrossed. You know, it's funny. My sister, uh, who never gets to see anything because she's a single parent and a full-time teacher, um, teacher yeah. she actually, the first time she got a chance to go see a movie, she went to see the Elton John biopic, loved it, so and has basically yelled at me every day since that I haven't yet seen I'm it. I'm shocked you haven't seen it. Did you see the Queen, the uh, Freddie Mercury yes, one? Yes, I did see that one. I was ready to fucking tear it apart. <laughs> and I loved it. Yeah, it's great. I feel like any of those stories, what's more fascinating than watching someone become a mega rock star? Yeah. That's a great story. Yeah, but it's an actor with fake teeth doing it. So it's not that great. It's not a biography. It's not like a... 
you know, it's not real. I, I thought can, you liked it. I did. I saw a documentary. <laughs> oh, I usually saying, hate that oh, shit. Oh, got it, got it. Because in the not... beginning, I was like, those teeth. I bet that wasn't even how it really was. And, then, uh, and I was like, what's he going to do next? Yep. Yeah. Very compelling. It was well, good. I think that guy, Mr. from Mr. Robot, is a great actor. Yeah, he was great. Yeah, but I'm very excited to see Rocket Man because yes. I hear everyone I know that's gone to see it was surprised at how much they loved it and how much um they how how true and honest it was mm. on Elton John's part, like how honest he was about yeah. being a diva and, and a dick sometimes and all the different things <laughs> that he was honest about. Yeah, I loved it. Which um, I think a lot of those times when you're on that level of superstar like kind of yeah mount rushmore style you don't you're like yeah i was the best to everybody all the time well that's why we wrote stay sexy and don't get murdered <laughs> and we got real real about so it so we could remember later in the future when we're fucking <laughs> cunty divas <laughs> which is two months from now yeah we're just now now we're, it's now Stephen will tell you it's right we're already working on our next book Cunty divas. <laughs> so many asterisks in that on the cover of that book. Yeah. Also, just speaking of which, um, in the spirit of our strong improv skills, um, <laughs> if you've ever listened to, there is a, I always call it a podcast, but it's not. It's just this weird radio channel on my, um, Apple music and it's Elton John's rocket hour. And he basically is the DJ for an hour and plays you all the new music he loves and old hits. He loves Is Henry Rollins, the sidekick. Cause I feel like Henry Rollins <laughs> is by law required to be part of <laughs> something like that. No, it's all really? Elton all by himself going. And he basically is just like loves new music and loves breaking like new bands and it is awesome and then he'll remind you of like here's an old great hit yeah remember this one yeah he says and then he'll say you don't remember this one because it just came out yeah stop being a poser yeah here's this band remember it now because you're listening to it for the first time right now yeah do you have anything oh i do okay kind of an important do you have anything related (laughs) yeah (laughs) do you have anything from the podcast yeah listen look Last week, <laughs> in my spirited yeah. and total, totally enthusiastic excitement to talk about season two of Dairy Girls, yeah, you can't, you can't, you can't discount your excitement over it and enthusiasm. Like that needs to be part of it. No, it is, and it really, <laughs> it's that I wanted to get. Um, the information right, knowing I had messed it up yeah. once before when I said the dairy. Dairy Girls took place in Belfast, as if there's only one major city in Northern Ireland. Um, last time, last week, when I talked about Dairy Girls, I said the, what I'll call now, I'll call it the map name of okay. Dairy, because that's what I saw. So you're not wrong, wrong. Tech, not technically, but culturally very wrong in america you're not wrong well on maps but i mean like if you pay attention to dairy girls right which is essentially look at the title what you yeah the the basics of paying attention yeah. uh the town london dairy is referred to as dairy okay and so last week i called again called it london dairy having been corrected having apologized um but i'd only forgotten my one mistake about talking about that show and not the second uh uh Arguably, 
could be more important. Uh, there's they're equal mistakes, maybe. So anyway, we got I got one tweet that was very very Irish and very guilt ridden or guilt inducing, mm-hmm. where it was just like basically like ah you did it again, and you don't <laughs> seem to care. You don't care about anything. But then uh, I got another tweet that made me laugh really hard from Nini P N E E N Y P. She wrote in and said. Um, or sorry, they wrote in and said, as my dad always says, Londonderry is the only town in Ireland with six silent letters. <laughs> so that's how in the future we'll remember to call it only dairy. It's just dairy. Just like we're locals. Um, yeah. and really I'm going to take this, um, contrition and this, um, this new information, this learned information right into our UK and Ireland <gasps> tour. You're good, dude. <laughs> right? You're and on it. I'm on it. We're coming, we're coming to you, Ireland, to apologize to your face. That's right. I think on uh, Dublin on November 25th, that show isn't sold out. And London on November 28th, that sh- show just got posted and it's not sold out yet. So sell it out and Tell and yell dairy at us. Don't yeah. do that. Now that'll be super irritating. <laughs> and you we'll, don't care. We'll discuss it. You don't care. Right. Can I can I do a um what's it called? Corner when I suggest something? Suggestions corner. Yes. <laughs> Is that what you're calling it? Did you watch like I asked you to, Jailbirds no. on Netflix? Nope. <laughs> Can we all need to talk about it now? Because yeah. <laughs> Can we all, can need, we to? all <laughs> need to talk about it now? It's the Sacramento jail. And it's just the stories. It's like Orange is the New Black. It's on like the sixth floor, which is the women's ward. It's like Orange is the New Black, but real and terrifying (gasps) and fascinating and wonderful and awful and amazing. They talk through the toilets. What? Yeah. Like there's a way to knock to because the plumbing is such that it just goes all the way down. So you can talk to the the dudes and like form relationships. (gasps) It's like Twitter through the toilet. Oh, my God. And people fall in love. They send they send messages through the toilet. (laughs) They've like tricked the system and it's fascinating. What else are you going to do if you're just sitting in jail? Yeah. Jailbirds on Netflix. I highly recommend it. Well, if we're going to do this and we might as well, then I will say the reason I haven't watched Jailbirds and I do have it on my little list. Yeah. yeah. When people recommend something to me, I definitely write it down because I can't find anything ever, ever. (laughs) You know, I always get baffled. But season two of Mindhunter came on Netflix and that's what I've been binging. Um, And it is, I loved it so much. I watched it all in like basically two days. Really? Under my weighted blanket. And (laughs) I will tell you this, and it's not a spoiler because they talk about it in a lot of the articles but among the cases that they address a big chunk of the back half of the series is spent in the time in in the case of the atlanta child killer (gasps) that's right they handle it so perfectly Uh, they handle it because i got super nervous i was just like "Uh, this is going to be the version that we've always gotten and whatever and it's as if they've listened it's like they listen to pain Lindsay's yeah atlanta child killer it's uh it's so well done because it's, of course, from the point of view of these, the FBI men that went in, mm-hmm. but then it gets turned and the women playing these mothers of the murdered children oh my God. get their time in yes. a way they never have in reality. Yeah. And as I was watching it, I was just like, this is beautiful and important because these are the things they were saying to anyone who would listen right. and no one was listening and no, ex- you know, like it, it gave me that that feeling of like 
the ki- the kind of justice where at least they got to say right. these beautiful and important things about that kind of um that kind of murder mm-hmm. and the kind of um failure in the justice system for uh, at-risk kids mm-hmm. like the kids that were below the poverty line in Atlanta um in the early 80s. Yeah, and it not white. Unbelievable, yes. Yeah. And when the white m- majority of people who were white in law enforcement would come in and be so fucking condescending right. and everything was about you need to take care of your children. So right. like on the insult on top of the injury it was unbelievable. Yeah. And as it, if they don't love their kids and are worried about their kids as much as those, you know, as anybody else as in anybody that city, else would, right? It's there's a couple really moving, beautiful moments, and I just think it's. I think they did a great job. I love it. I can't wait to watch the rest of it. Yeah. Um. If we're fucking keeping with the suggestions corner, mm-hmm. confronting OJ, the podcast. Okay, so I was like, I'm done. I know everything there is to know about the OJ case. We've all watched The Simpsons. Like, we all know all <laughs> we know. the things. But then this one is hosted by Kim Goldman, who's Ron Goldman's sister. And yeah. it's really moving and really beautiful. And it's about uh, loss and tragedy and going through this thing that she went through as a young woman. And it's it's really well done and beautiful. That's great. I've been listening to, um, I've already talked about listening to the Ram Das podcast here and now oh. um, a couple times and but I've listened to almost all of them and I've transitioned over to a podcast by a woman named Tara Brock mm-hmm. who is an unbelievably amazing um, teacher and she's um, I don't even know what what the correct terminology is but it's all it's basically kind of like a me- she's a meditation teacher but it's very it's kind of like what we do how we use our own minds against ourselves mm. and how to get out of the ruts and habits of, of being in the mind. Mm-hmm. Um, and it's that. really good. It's that kind of thing where like the way she talks you through the stuff, it's not too woo woo. It's not too out there and you don't have to know or have studied a bunch of stuff. Like it's just, it's very basic. She reminds a lot of the stuff she says reminds me of the stuff my therapist says. Yeah. It's really good. And it, it's just how it's, you know, I don't know. I've just been, I've been listening to it a lot. Like, you know, sitting out in the sun and it's just that kind of thing. Like you go, Oh yeah, that's true. Just this, yeah. When you, when you, when you give your mind too much credit and then you get stuck in these patterns and how to get out of them. Anyway, if you're interested in hearing about any of that, Tara Brock, um, I think her, that's her podcast. Is yeah. It? I looked it up and it's like literally just her name. Tara yeah. Brock. Tara oh. Brock. B-R-A-C-H. Oh, like the candy. Oh, I wouldn't have known that. Yeah. Hold on. There's one other one I want to suggest. Carrier. Uh, and it's a really cool, like, it kind of reminds me of Night Vale. It's like a, it's like an audio book, but it's not. And it's really well acted. And it's uh, Cynthia Erivo is the main character and sh- or star. And she's incredible. And it's just a really fun. But it's a podcast? Yeah. And it's like to get out of your head. It's It's creepy. Oh, that's cool. It's good. Nice. Yeah. Well, that's our recommendations there corner. There you go. That took 45 minutes. <laughs> <laughs> um, go to myfavoritemurder.com. Join the fan cult. Have fun with it, you guys. That's all we have. <laughs>
Uh, oh, were you going to do your your TV guide for the oh, Exactly Right Network? That's right. Uh, this podcast will kill you. This week, their episode is about cystic fibrosis, Ooh. which I find really interesting. And mm-hmm. I'm sure a lot of people out there want to hear about it. Percast has Lucy from Wine and Crime. Nice. Uh, Murder Squad, Billy Jensen, and my uh, alcohol supplier, Paul Holes. <laughs> Murder Squad is Owl's head man. And there's a bonus episode of you and Billy Jensen at the Skylight Bookstore. That's right. The and phone line. Yeah. It's surprise guest Paul Holes. Oh, right. Yeah. I saw the photo. <laughs> Drinking my alcohol. What if he drank my alcohol? That he said he has. He's he's had a couple cans of wine. Well, oh, then I here. feel good. Okay. Yeah. Um the fall line season five is out and it's incredible. Yeah. And then uh, what about uh this week on your podcast? Your other podcast. Do you need a ride? Yeah. Um the other podcast. The other is Steven, is this week what do you need a ride? Just me and Chris? Yes. Last week was too. No, no, it's because it's every other week. So yeah, yeah this uh, this Monday was the ghost the ghost uh the swan lake lights and everything <laughs> so that's just chris and i yeah, yeah, yeah basically driving around and yeah i'd listen to that the two of you just talking it was fun it was one of the first ones we've ever done at actual night that's right like we usually do it during the day cool and at one point we drove by echo park lake and all the swan boats had christmas lights Aww. in like on in the shapes of swans so it looked so beautiful Pretty. it was really cool love it um and that just that's just one of the things that happens one of the many <laughs> things and you too can listen along we look at things can you fucking believe that they comment on them yeah in in real time and riff that's right and they don't let steven wear a seatbelt in the back <laughs> So it's real exciting. Forbidden. <laughs> you hear him whimpering the entire time. Or what if he's a, he make him sit in a baby seat all day? <laughs> no. He'd, he'd like it. Yeah. It's like a baby seat, but with all kinds of podcasting equipment around it and <laughs> yeah. attached to it. Yeah. And a Starbucks just right next to him in mm-hmm. case he gets antsy. Actually, a Starbucks opened in my backseat. Did you hear? <laughs> a Starbucks store opened a new location in your backseat? <laughs> yeah. That's crazy. It's a joke. Oh. <laughs> You're just trying to piece through it. So what you're saying to me is. (laughs) Let me explain this joke to you, please. Look. That I don't understand. Look and listen. I don't want you to be upset. This joke I don't get. There's no Starbucks in the backseat of my car. I thought you you meant when. Let me tell you what I thought. Mm -hmm. I thought you went when opened and spilled. (gasps) Shit. I didn't even think about that. That's, um, ladies and gentlemen, what we call. Uh, what is it? A homonym. Uh, oh, confusion. <laughs> it's called. <laughs> huh? Huh? Am I? Am I? There's something about the sound of an old-timey cash register that really takes me back. I know. It sounds like someone is about to hand me an ice cream cone, but it also sounds like we just sold some merch. That's right. And if you're a Shopify user like us, you know that this sound means you just made a sale. Shopify has helped millions of businesses sell their products online, but did you know they also offer the same support for brick and mortar stores? From accepting payments to managing inventory, they have everything you need to sell in person. So give your point of sale system a serious upgrade with Shopify. Shopify POS tracks sales across all your locations. That way you'll always know what you have in stock and where. They also provide reliable tech that fits your unique retail needs, like turning a tablet into a credit card reader. And if you're looking to reach new customers, check out Shopify's marketing tools. They're easy to use and they integrate with all social media platforms. With Shopify, we have a powerful partner for managing our sales. And if you're a business owner, you can too. Do retail right with Shopify. Sign up for a $1 per month trial period today at shopify.com slash murder and here's the important note that promo code is 
all lowercase. So go to shopify.com slash murder and take your retail business to the next level. That's shopify.com slash murder. Again, don't forget the code is all lowercase. Goodbye. Georgia, have you ever been blown away by the most simple dish at a restaurant? Like perfectly scrambled eggs? Oh my God, yes, Karen. And then all I want to do is make that dish at home and eat it every day. Well, you probably could as long as you have the chef's secret ingredient, Made In Cookware. Made In was created to bring restaurant quality performance kitchenware to home chefs around the world. For years, they've built their business by supplying restaurants and top chefs with high-end cookware. Some of Tom Colicchio's most treasured dishes at his restaurant craft are made in Made In. Whether you're cooking for professional critics or just the critics you live with, your meals will benefit from the quality of Made In products. Like their carbon steel cookware, it combines the best of both cast iron and stainless steel clad, so it's rugged enough for grills or an open flame. It's the MVP of summer cookouts and cook-ins. What I really love about made-in cookware is that it actually makes something like having a Memorial Day barbecue much more convenient because you can keep everything on the grill if you need to throw, say, a pan of garlic up on the top while you're grilling your steaks on the bottom. It's strong enough, durable enough to do that. If you want to take your cooking to the next level, remember what so many great dishes have in common. They're all made-in, made-in. Save up to 25% this Memorial Day from May 18th through May 27th when you visit madeincookware.com. That's M-A-D-E-I-N cookware.com. Goodbye. Um, you're first this week. Is it me? It's you. Okay. So this, um, I got the idea to do this case because when we went to San Francisco to do the Cluster Fest mm-hmm. Festival, which was an amazing show. So fun. We had the best time. And at the end, our... Uh, Good friend, friend of the show, uh, Pat Oswalt. I was going to call him Podcast Oswalt. <laughs> <laughs> Why doesn't he have a podcast called that? I think I think I, we're going to pitch it to him. Yeah. Podcast Oswalt came on <laughs> and he came and did his hometown from when he lived in San Francisco, yeah. which was the serial killer, the doodler. Yeah. And I was just flipping out because I'd never heard of this serial killer before. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think I it was like maybe in lists yeah, and yeah. I kind of looked at it, but it was not anything that that growing up in the Bay Area yeah. that I was familiar with. Yeah. And which freaked me out. And Patton went over it. It kind of it was very quick, you know, yeah. he couldn't get super detailed into it. So I figured that's what I would do this cool. week. So this week I am doing San Francisco's The Doodler. Yes, bring it on. There's an incredibly great article from the website The All, A-W-L, mm-hmm. which was written by someone named Elon Green that had very good detailed stuff about the victims of this um, of these crimes. Um, also used USA Today, The Washington Post, and of course, All American Wikipedia. Wikipedia. <laughs> and this starts in 1974. And what is mind-blowing is that 1974 is also the year that John Wayne Gacy began killing Fuck. teenage young boys, that Ted Bundy began killing wow. young women, that Coral Watts began killing fucking everybody, and that BTK began killing. 74? 74. Get your shit together. It was nutso. It was the, it was a time and a place. It was, there was all kinds of murdering happening all across the United States, and San Francisco was no exception. Mm. Um, and the city had already been plagued for five years by the now very infamous 
and yet still yet unidentified killer, the Zodiac. Crazy. Do you think it's going to be solved anytime soon? Do they leave DNA behind? I don't know. I bet it is. Um, I mean, I hope so, but it's like he, he started in 68. Yeah. So it's like that, that DNA is like 60 years old. Yeah. But I bet there's more than you think because it didn't cross his mind that, that we'd be a touch DNA at this point or whatever. I mean, I hope so. And I hope it was saved. You know, those when like these crimes come up or you listen to a thing and they're like, and then all the records were destroyed. Someone went Maria Kondo on the fucking, on the evidence room. (laughs) Yeah. And now there's nothing left. Space. Get rid of all this evidence. Yeah. Yeah. So um, who knows? I mean, that would be an incredibly it would be so exciting. And yet it would be also so anticlimactic at this point. Dick. It's always just some dick. Well, and based on the the uh, legendary David Fincher movie, The Zodiac. Yeah. uh, Oh, no, I'm sorry. Zodiac. Zodiac. Plain Zodiac. Um, (laughs) The Zodiac is the porn that was made based on the The Zodiac. (laughs) And it's all the um, astrology signs fucking sexy. Um, (laughs) That is sexy. But in the movie, the guy that they interview at the end, yeah. I feel like that's oh, the guy. For sure. It just really felt Come like on. it. But then again, the movie wanted you to think that. Yeah, but in real life, that guy totally seems like the guy. Yes. It's and him. he lived right near Petaluma. Yeah, I need a fucking Rosa. Zodiac watch. Zodiac watch. And also squirrels in your mobile home. The just, end. Yeah. The end. Butterflies in your van, as we learned from last <laughs> minisode. Last minisode and then... Squirrels in your... Squirrels in your mobile home. Stop it. Get out of here if you're double wide. So... <laughs> Uh, okay. so he had, the Zodiac had been taunting SFPD and the SF media with a constant stream of cryptic threatening letters, uh, for five years at this point. Mm-hmm. Um, the last verified letter ever written by the Zodiac, this was verified, not they'd received other ones after that, but they were all kind of, yeah, w- they weren't sure who wrote them. The last verified one was written by the Zodiac on January 29th, 1974. Oh. But what the city didn't realize was that just as the Zodiac's reign of terror was beginning to wane, a new killer's was just beginning Mm-mm. because uh, five days before the last Zodiac letter on January 24th, 1974, at just around two o'clock in the morning, the fully clothed body of a man is found lying face up at the water's edge on San Francisco's ocean, ocean beach. Mm-hmm. He'd been stabbed multiple times on the front and back of his body. And investigators determine he died only hours before he was found. And based on the defensive wounds on his left hand, he um, he was believed to be conscious and mm. put up a fight during his attack. Mm. Um, no identification was found on the body, but the man was eventually identified as 49-year-old Gerald Cavanaugh, um, who was Canadian-born, born in 1923. Um, he had emigrated to America and now worked at a mattress factory in the Bay Area. He was single um, and no one else that they interviewed really knew that much about this man's personal life. So um, six months later, on June 25th, 1974, a woman walking along Stowe Lake, uh, which is now called Sparkles Lake in Golden Gate Park, discovers the body of a man who'd been stabbed five times, Mm. um, again, on the front and back of his body. um, And he'd also died shortly before his body was found. Um, And investigators notice there are also defensive wounds on this body, and he also had no ID on him when he was found. Hmm. Um, this victim is identified as 27-year-old Joseph J. Stevens. And J. Stevens was a popular female impersonator and gay comedian who'd worked at um, San Francisco's world-famous club, Finocchio's. Um, yeah, so... Um, 
27. Such a baby. And he, yeah. when he made his de- debut, the all article talks about it. He was like, he really, he was this really gorgeous drag queen mm-hmm. who, um, really made a splash, got to work at Finocchio's, which was a very big deal. Yeah. But then eventually stopped doing drag and started just doing gay stand up comedy. Oh. And yeah. And, and so young. I mean, yeah. like really just kind like of starting. future there. Yeah. Yeah. Um, witnesses say that the night, um, of his murder or, you know, the, the evening before, um, they saw Jay leaving the cabaret club in North Beach and, um, the police theorize that Jay himself had driven with his murderer Mm. to the park, Mm. um, and actually given him a ride. So, um, less than two weeks after Jay's um, body is found on July 7th. A woman's walking her, uh, walking her dog discovers the body of 31 year old German American immigrant Klaus Christman. He had been stabbed 15 times on the front and back of his body, wow. more than the first two victims, yeah. and his throat had been slashed three times. <gasps> Holy across. shit. Um, Inspector Dave Toshi of the SFPD described it as one of the most vicious stabbings he'd ever seen. That name might sound familiar to you because Inspector Dave Toshi she was the lead detective on the Zodiac. That's Ugh. who Mark Ruffalo played in Zodiac. <gasps> yeah, that guy needed some serious therapy, probably. I mean, the, when he, he retired, he was he was in it deep, Dude. and so he was one of the detectives on this case as well. Wow. Um, Klaus Christman was wearing a wedding a wedding ring, but when investigators um, searched his body, they find a tube of makeup in his um, possession, mm-hmm. leading them to believe that Christman was a closeted gay man. Um, and later witnesses report seeing him at a gay bar in the tenderloin called Bojangles. And this was the last place Christman was seen alive. Wow. So the police see that there, uh, could be a connection from this stabbing to the other stabbings that have been happening. Okay. So then 10 months later on May 12th, 1975. So this is almost a year later. Okay. A fourth body is found stabbed to death beside the highway running parallel to Ocean Beach. Um, so he's identified through fingerprints as 32-year-old registered nurse Frederick Capen. And Capen had also served in the Navy. Um, he was a decorated soldier um, for his service in the Vietnam War. He'd actually won a commendation medal for saving the lives of four men under fire. Wow. Um, he had also been stabbed in the heart, and there were markings in the sand indicating that his body had been dragged about 20 feet from the place he was killed. Mm. Um and then less than a month later, uh, on June 4th, 1975, a 67-year-old Swedish sailor named Harold Goldberg is found by a hiker in the bushes near the 16th tee of the Lincoln Park Golf Course, uh, which is just northeast mm-hmm. of Ocean Beach. So it's around basically hmm. the same area. Um, and Harold's pants had been unzipped his underwear were missing and the body had been there for over two weeks holy shit yeah and it was basically a hiker went like 10 feet off the trail and then found this body that had basically been hidden there so all five of these victims were found within four miles of each other and all within the span of 18 months and because all of the victims were seemingly connected somehow to the gay 
uh, lifestyle or mm-hmm. scene, um, of course, the gay community is gripped by fear because mm-hmm. clearly there is someone who is attacking um, predator. Uh, yeah. Yeah. There's a predator in in their midst. And um, of course, many people in the gay community felt like the police were not only not empathetic to the situation, but they, they actually blamed the victims yeah. and blamed gay men for putting themselves into vulnerable positions when they went somewhere with a stranger. So there's a lot of mistrust and animosity coming from both sides. Mm-hmm. And then in July of 1975, there are two separate attacks on gay men at the Fox Plaza apartments on Market Street uh, within two weeks of each other. So both victims are able to escape with their lives. So this is the first time people are coming into contact with who they think this person who's killed these other people might be. Um, And they, both of these men give the same description of their attacker. He is a tall, young black man with very smooth skin. Um, So when a third man is assaulted around the same time and provides a similar description of the attacker, the, the police, uh, are starting to feel very confident they're they're going to be able to catch this guy. Yeah. The problem is this man, this third man who was assaulted, quickly leaves the city after the attack and will not answer phone calls from the police. Right. And so essentially this is what they come up against is it's the 70s, early 70s in San Francisco, mid-70s in San Francisco, where a lot of the people, uh, some of the people will say that frequented gay bars were not out to their families. Right. And there was a ton of risk yeah. of being out as a gay person in the in the early to mid 70s totally um because this is 1974 75 in 1978 and this still blows my mind i learned about this by watching the mayor of castro street which is that amazing documentary about harvey milk he's amazing he's it's such a good documentary if you haven't seen it i highly recommend it in 1978 conservatives tried to pass this thing called the briggs initiative Mm -hmm. Uh, where they were trying to ban, um, gay people from teaching in California public schools. Holy shit. That was 1978. Yeah. Which you would think, oh no, it's, we're almost to the eighties. Yeah. Like everything's fine. That's just an indicator for, uh, you know, if you, if you don't know or remember of the, of the serious, uh, like oppression that yeah. was actually really happening. And that's, it's an amazing part of the mayor of Castro State when, when they go on and they basically debate the two people that brought this initiative forward hmm. and Harvey Milk and that amazing female lawyer. I I don't know her name off the top of my head, basically decimate these yes. people on the live news, like on the seven o'clock news. <sighs> and it is. It is a beautiful thing to behold. Yeah. Because it's basically two people going, yeah, you you guys like to stand up and talk about like that we're Mm. perverted or we're, you know, automatically bad people or whatever. And it's like once you see two people who are just like out and queer and proud going, you can't do this to us. The other two look like dipshits and and assholes. Like it's just such a telling moment. And that initiative, of course, does not get passed. And it basically kind of they, you know, Harvey Milk got out into the street and started talking to people and having people um, really doing like pounding the pavement and saying to people like, if this initiative passed, you understand that like you could be next, whatever group you're in. Right. If you are not like the white majority, yeah. you're also in danger. Like yeah. we can't start picking people off in these like in these minority groups and saying that that's fine. Yeah. Um, and you watch people have this conversation with with um, people on the street and you watch their faces realize like, oh, yeah, this can't happen. Right. It's really 
amazing and beautiful, but we're still, so this is, we're now three years before that. Holy shit. Yeah. So people who are being attacked because they were at a gay bar are like, there's no way they're, yeah. they can't come forward and have Even their face on the news. San Francisco, which everyone thinks of as a progressive city. It's like, there's only parts of it that are. That's right. Yeah. And not, and, and it doesn't mean that the people at your job will understand right. or your boss will understand totally. or, you know, your parents, everything. Yeah. There's, there's a ton of risk. So anyway, that, that became a big problem with this. And of course, the narrative became they, like, they won't do anything about right. it. Like, it was really We can't help blaming. you because you're not doing anything yeah. to help Well, yourself. you're not going to come yeah. forward too bad for you and, like, throw it all yeah, yeah. over your shoulder. So, by the assault victims and other witnesses' accounts, the police um, put the killer's MO together. And basically, what what would happen is this guy would go to gay bars, nightclubs, 24-hour diners, and um, he would sketch the faces of basically his victims. And then he'd come up to them, tell them that he was a cartoonist. He'd show them the sketch that he'd drawn mm. of them. It start up the conversation and all the witnesses and the victims said he was a very talented person, hmm. a very talented illustrator, um, really intelligent. He clearly had like an upper middle class education. He was very charming, a smooth talker and he had a big smile, mm. which I always say, you know, I say, the smileier someone is, get away from that person. Yeah. What are you trying to prove? Yeah. Um, now I'm like, am I smiling too much? <laughs> I guess I do want to kill everybody. Um, I just have a lot of teeth and not a lot of lip. And it's just, it gets me in. People think I'm psychotic because of it. I just want you to get huge collagen injections into your lips. Into my teeth? <laughs> Straight into the teeth. Okay. But lip shaped. For you. It's so, like your lip. <laughs> Inception. <laughs> Don't worry about it. Um, okay. So essentially it was, he was, he was intelligent, charming, and smooth enough that he could lure people yeah. to a private, secluded second location, yeah. um, to hook up and people felt very safe doing that with him. And because all of these attacks happened on or around the weekends at night, police suspected that he could live in the barrier, but not in the city and then drive into yeah. the city on the weekends to do that and then leave. Smart. Um, I mean, they're smart to figure that out. Not right. That he's smart. Correct. You know what I mean? Yeah, I do. Five months <laughs> after these, um, the July Fox Plaza apartment attacks, police release a composite sketch of the suspect based on the assault witnesses' descriptions. It shows a man who is between 19 and 25 years old. Hmm. He is African-American, um, medium-complected. He stands between 5'11 and 6 feet tall, and he is lanky. Um, the suspect is reported to have, quote, sexual identification problems. This is from the police wow. reports. Yeah. And is or was seeing a psychiatrist on an ongoing outpatient basis. Hmm. Um, I don't know if that's from the, like, conversations that the uh, witnesses and victims had with him or, yeah. or what, or if it was the investigation that basically brought brought the cops to those people. I do know that there um, was a, they did discover, or there is in it, one police report, it says that there is um, a psychiatrist that came forward that said they had a patient mm. who admitted to being the doodler. <gasps> but they can't say who it is. Because right. of, no, 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 that's not true. Because if it's, you're hurting someone else or yourself, you can break uh, doctor patient confidentiality. Is that true? Yeah. Immediate, immediate danger to yourself That's or others? That's what they tell you when you first go in as if it's your, yeah, to yourself or others or they think you're being hurt. They can break it. Do, does your therapist say that to you? 
I think every therapist I've ever had has said that the first. Do they like, really? Meeting. Yeah. Oh. I'm going to confront Michelle next week. <laughs> <laughs> I guess she's telling everyone about your shit. <laughs> Everything we talk about is on her blog. <laughs> okay. So the composite goes out and um, it's a very detailed and specific picture and I, all the identifying um, details are very specific, but nothing comes of the release of, of it. Um, and then in January of 1976, the San Francisco Chronicle runs an article about the Doodler murders. Um, it includes one story from an unnamed witness, a European diplomat mm. who met the suspect in a restaurant in the upper market. Um which also could be considered the lower Castro. Um, <laughs> that's right where my gap was when I used to work at the gap. Oh, I know that one. Yeah. Yeah. I worked over there too. Um, so the suspect asked the diplomat if he had any cocaine. They went off to the diplomat's apartment uh-huh. and they, uh, took party and chit chat or, or whatever. And while they were in the diplomat's apartment, the suspect proceeded to stab him <gasps> six times, but the diplomat, managed to get away and um he and ba- and he survived to basically make this police Holy report shit. he claims to the police that he and um the suspect did not have sexual relations right um and that person remains unnamed um there's also that there's stories about a the a famous and still living a Hollywood celebrity that also was attacked by the doodler could be one of these three men uh-huh. that were in this apartment building um and that name people have been trying to figure out who that person yeah. is for years um for a long time they suspected it was Rock Hudson because he was shooting Macmillan and wife in San Francisco Shut at up. the time but they say this this celebrity is still alive Oh so it can't be Rock Hudson. Um, that's what that's, you know, rumor mill stuff. Yeah. Reading the story in the Chronicle, um, people start calling in tips to the SFPD, um, leading p- police to finally arrest a suspect mm. um, based on the description and people seeing this person in different places. Um, they he had been seen in a tenderloin bar, perhaps Bojangles, and that is Bojangles with a hyphen. Um, there was no Bojangles fast food restaurant in San Francisco at the yeah. time, so it's not a Bojangles fast yeah. food. Yeah. It's uh, a bar. Um, so there had been a guy in, in a tenderloin bar offering to draw some of the customers. Dude. They go, they arrest a man, and when they do, they find a sketchbook on him and a butcher knife. No. Yes. Guilty. They, when they bring him in for questioning, he is very cooperative. Um, he never admits to murdering or attacking any of these victims, sure. but the police feel very strongly that this is their man. And at one point, he snaps and tries to attack the in- interrogating detectives. Holy shit. And he is arrested for like attempted assault or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, but when it comes time to press charges about the murders with this guy, the three surviving victims refused to testify against him in court, fearing that it would out them and destroy their lives. And as a result, the police are forced to release mm. this suspect. Mm. And that suspect's identity has never been released to the public. Wow. Despite this setback in the case, when that like basically 
um, when that piece of the story comes out to the public, um, Harvey Milk immediately steps forward to defend the surviving victim's decision not to testify, saying, quote, I understand their position. I respect the pressure society has put on them. And and Harvey Milk also cited that 20 to 25 percent of the 85,000 gay men in San Francisco are closeted about their sexuality at this point in time, showing a wide reluctance of gay men to share their personal lives publicly. Understandable. Understandable, because the fallout was so much greater than we can understand today that anyone really understands. Yeah. Um, it was a big part of that culture. I just can't, I just can't get over when I, cause remembering the, the Briggs initiative from the documentary I watched, I was like, oh, that must have happened a couple years before. Yeah. And the fact that it happens after the fact yeah. in 1978 is so shocking to me and so justifying in that, in that risk that he's talking about. Yeah. You know, totally. It's just like, it's like still coming at you. Yeah. And actually, when the killings began, it had only been a year since the American Psychiatric Association Board of Trustees had stopped classifying homosexuality as a disorder. Holy shit. It had only been a year. So it was very, you know, the stigma was not gone in any way. So that was 40 years ago. The case still remains unsolved, but... This past February 2019, police released new information about this case. And I think Patton talked about this a little bit. Yeah. Um, but since the capture of the Golden State Killer through use of DNA, detectives' interest in the doodler was reinvigorated um, because all those big cold cases yeah. that seemed so mystifying back then are all, I think, being looked at. I think so, yeah. Um, so the advances in DNA forensics lead detectives to believe their chances of catching the killer are now much higher. In the past year, investigators have submitted DNA evidence to the police's crime lab and are still awaiting results. In early February 2019, San Francisco police released an updated sketch of the original suspect to reflect how he may appear now 40 years later. And it essentially is a bald black man. Yeah. Basically, it looks just like the original picture, but he's bald and like heavier, essentially. So authorities have released the recording of the 911 call that reported the discovery of the first victim, Gerald Cavanaugh's body. Um, The caller was anonymous at the time, but they're asking whoever that caller is to come forward so they can re-interview them and see if there's any additional information that they can get from that person. If they're still alive. Yeah. Um, Which is the weirdest part of it is it's long ago enough that that's a big Totally. That's a big issue uh, in this case. Um, it's possible that the doodler may have been responsible for as many as 14 murders that took place in San Francisco's gay community um, during that stretch of time between 1974 and 1975. Wow. And if the doodler is still alive today, he would be in his mid-60s. So... I said I was always so curious as to how I didn't know about this kind of famous San Francisco serial killer. Mm-hmm. Um, and then I read this paragraph from the Elon Green's article in The All, which kind of like took my breath away because he says, and then four and a half years after the killings ended, San Francisco's own Ken Horn, a ballet school dropout, was reported to the Center for Disease Control with Kaposi's sarcoma. Mm-hmm. And five murdered men would become, relative to what followed, a statistical blip. 
Yeah. So it was essentially the, these murders happened, a little bit of time passed, and then the AIDS crisis began. Yeah. And basically every, everything changed permanently right. in San Francisco and obviously in the world. And so that is the hopefully soon to be solved case of San Francisco's The Doodler. Dude, that is emotionally charged. Isn't that nuts? And crazy. It's, it's so like, when you when we start pulling apart these old cold cases yeah. where it's just like all the reasons and the reasons are more injustice it's yeah. like victim pe- victims being victimized basically just right. because of who they are yeah it's always just like it's it's the case but then you also have to factor in and all of these the time and place yeah. which really affect it more than you know then you would think it when you're he- when you hear the story and you're like well let's just solve it and it's like no you don't understand what was going on at the time you know, how horrible things were or how, you know, racist and how sexist and how, you know, homophobic things were back then in all these cases. And it wasn't back then. That was just regular life. Right. Everyone was supposed to shut their mouth and try to be, uh, you know, in like your place, in, keep your place and keep your mouth be shut and place, not speak. Yeah. And if if you if there was a message to be said, some white man was going to say it for you. Yeah. Some straight white man, I should right. say. So, yeah. Why do I always remember lyrics to songs, Karen, that I haven't heard for years, but I always forget my email passwords? I know, right? It's like our brains only want us to retain useless information, but with 1Password, that problem solved. 1Password is an award-winning password manager that's trusted by families and large-scale companies alike. If you're tired of being the person that everyone texts for a streaming login, hand that honor to 1Password. They let you share logins with people and with groups. With 1Password, you can securely switch between any device type or operating system. That means if you're a family or business that uses both Mac and PC, you won't have trouble sharing your private data. Don't let the name fool you. 1Password does more than just store passwords. It can autofill usernames, payment details, and personal information. And they notify you about potential data breaches. For business operations, 1Password has a dedicated support team that will integrate its security tools into your existing workflow. 1Password saves everyone time. And we all know that time saved equals money saved saved. Your accounting department will thank you. Don't just listen to us. 1Password was named Wirecutter's best password manager and companies like Salesforce and IBM trust 1Password to secure their most sensitive information. So you can too. Right now, our listeners get a free two-week trial at 1Password.com slash MFM. That's two free weeks at 1, as in the number 1, Password.com slash MFM. 1Password.com slash MFM. Goodbye. If you're like me, you're always looking for a story to dive into. Whether it's a family drama or a mystery to solve, the key to getting hooked is the details. I need rich visuals and intricate storylines, and June's Journey has that and more. June's Journey is a mobile mystery game that follows June Parker, a daring young woman, on a quest to uncover the truth about her sister's murder. This is your chance to test your detective skills because you'll play the game as June herself. Explore beautifully designed scenes from the 1920s, like lavish estates and gardens, and don't forget to keep an eye out for hidden clues. There are twists, turns, and catchy tunes, all leading you deeper into the thrilling storyline. And if you play well enough, you could make it to the detective club. There, you'll chat with other players and compete with or against them. June needs your help, but watch out, you never know which character might be a villain. 
Shocking family secrets will be revealed, but will you crack the case? Find out as you escape this world and dive into June's world of mystery, murder, and romance. It's all just one tap away. Discover your inner detective when you download June's Journey for free today on iOS and Android. That's June's Journey. Download the game for free on iOS and Android. Goodbye. All right. This is one of these disappearances and these mysterious circumstances, cases that I've been following for a while. Okay. So I thought I'd finally do the mysterious disappearance and death of Chris Crummers and Lisanne Froon. Get ready. (laughs) (laughs) Get. Okay. Okay. Got a ton of information. There's like all, there's like three part article and follow up from the Daily Beast from 2017. Um, they do an investigative uh, pieces on this called Lost Girls. It's a whole series by Jeremy Critt. Also, uh, allthatsinteresting.com. There's an article by Katie Serena. There's a blog called Scarlet Letters that has a really great article about this. And the crime blog, mostlymystery.com, mm. has some good info, too. So I've never heard of this. Okay. you. I think you will once you hear about it. The details. Right okay. now. Okay. <laughs> as you as say I it. Okay. vomit this out of my mouth. Okay. Got it. Here we are in the spring of 2014. Chris Kremers, and that's a female, K-R-I-S, and Lisanne Froon. They're students. They're from the Netherlands, and they're planning a trip together to go to to Panama. Mm. Lisanne is 22. She had graduated with a degree in applied sciences from De Winter, uh, which I don't know if I said that right. The pre- See, it seemed like you had a good the kind of, There's a bit of an accent there. I liked it. Netherlands-ish, yeah, yeah. right? You know. I've been to Amsterdam. Yeah, you've all over it. Uh, she had just graduated. And Chris, who was 21, had just completed her studies in cultural, social uh, education, specializing in art education at the University of Utrecht. They had met while working in a cafe together and had become close friends. And they had uh, recently moved into the same student housing in it's Amersfoort is where it's called in the, the Netherlands. So they were planning to go to Panama as like their in-between year. They were fucking stoked. They had spent six months saving up money and planning, like meticulously planning this trip. It was going to be part vacation, but then uh, the other part of it was going to be a service trip. They plan on spending some time hiking and uh, tourisming which is my new <laughs> word and then they were also learning going to be learning spanish and then following that they would be volunteering at a school teaching arts and crafts to local kids while staying with a host family nice so it's going to be like their what's it called bumpier uh, is it bumpier it's absolutely not bumpier <laughs> but it's gap year gap year yeah, thank yeah, you yeah. there it is <laughs> you had a gap year working at the gap right in my front teeth i had gap year from age zero <laughs> To 17. Um, so Lisanne, she's six feet tall and athletic. She'd been a volleyball star in college and was into extreme things like skydiving and mountaineering. She had done alpine hiking, you know, in the Netherlands. So she was experienced, an experienced hiker and mountaineerer. Mm-hmm. Um, she was, she's described as thoughtful, intelligent, empathetic, and she kept a diary and brought it along with her to Panama. So Chris Kremers was described as creative and intelligent. She's outspoken, responsible. She had this beautiful, long, strawberry blonde hair. Um, she had less outdoor experience, but she was young and healthy and like ready to fucking take on the world. Yeah. She planned to go to graduate school for art history after their trip to Panama, after their bump year. <laughs> they both grew up in Amherst Fort, a town in the Netherlands, about 45 minutes from Amsterdam. 
where we had so much fun. Yes. What a what a time. What a time. I'll never forget that hotel room. It oh was my like God, yeah. my dream apartment hotel room. It was the, yeah. so beautiful. It was. Okay. <laughs> I was going to talk about Vince's snafu with the airport, but maybe I shouldn't. <laughs> no, I don't think you should. I won't. Okay. <laughs> Tour stories. That's the podcast. That's right. Okay. On March 15th, 2014, the women flew to Amsterdam from Amsterdam to Panama City, then took another flight to Boca del Toro, then a boat to the Panamanian island of Isla Colon, and then the, and then the archipelago. That's probably not right. Look. So wait, you pronounced it? Archipelago? Archipelago. Archipelago. Is there an I in there somewhere? Arca. No, not anymore. <laughs> Archie Palagio. Archie. So they adventured in town and around there until March 29th, and they arrived to Buquete. That's the small town on the Caldera River in western Panama, where they're going to stay in the host family's house and teach children. Uh, and this town, Buquete, is something like, it's like a, a fairy tale. It's in the bottom of this valley, and it's surrounded by, like, rainforests, and there's a volcano. It's gorgeous. And there's a lot of expats and tourists that go to this place specifically. And of course, you and I remember Panama in the 80s. It wasn't a fucking safe place to be. Crazy. Yeah. So not. But now it's actually one of the safest countries in Latin America. Mm. And Boquete is thought to be even safer. It's uh, popular with retirees and expats and uh, has just one paved street and fewer than 10,000 residents. It's known as little, little Switzerland for its resemblance to the Alps. Wow. Yeah. That's cool. Yeah. But when they arrive there, they, and they go to where they're supposed to start work, uh, at the school, they're disappointed to find out that they are turned away. The, the people say that they're too early and there's like a whole mix up with their schedule. Um, but they were able to find their host family, these two young women, and they checked in there and they planned to do some sightseeing while they figured out what the problem was. So on April, that, it, I'm sorry, but that gives me this uncomfortable feeling yeah, like that, that it's starting already. Yeah. Because you're when you travel that much and you're saying they took a plane and then they took a boat and they had totally. to do it. They're like clearly going to a slightly remote location. Yeah. They arrive. And not in, knowing the language completely. Right. And then they're. People are like, oh, no, no, you're not supposed to be here. You're like, not, if, yeah. even if it was a hotel yeah. in the United States, I'd be like, uh-oh. Yeah. So imagine you're so far from home. Totally. But you have your best friend with you. And like, so that's comforting. But you're also two women in a foreign country, which is just scary, scary. to begin with. Yeah. So they find their host family. They check in there and they're going to do some sightseeing. On April 1st, 2014, Chris and Lizanne, they take a taxi from their host family's home and dropped off at the famous Pianista Trail. It's a trail that leads them to the Continental Divide, which is like that saying the Continental Divide gives me like goosebumps, doesn't it? <laughs> yeah. It feels so huge and like a cool indie band name, yeah. doesn't it? Oh, that would be a good name. Right. By the way, you're, all these pronunciations are really A+. Thank you. I'm trying. Yeah, you're doing great. Thank you. Um, so just in case we're all wondering, like I was earlier, the Continental Divide is the crest that marks the spot where the uh, where the country's water breaks for the Pacific Ocean in one direction and the Caribbean in the other. Mm, so okay. it's like dividing the two oceans. They both go in either direction. Look at this way. Look at that way. Got it. Here you are. East, west. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> Didn't get that far. Sorry. I'm we pretty sure we had a book. Oh, Yeah. Like in the National Geographic series style, yeah, yeah. where it, it was called the Continental Divide, and I would look at it but not read it. 
That sure. was my big thing. It's like pictures only and I'm, I'm out. You and I know words are overrated. God, information is dumb. I can't read. <laughs> okay. So this hike that they were going to take, um, which goes up and back, the Pianista Trail, it's like a famous trail. Uh, it should just take four or five hours to get there and back. And if they had gone further, it turns into kind of like wild terrain and they don't suggest you go that way. So it, it, even though this is a trail that's famous, it wouldn't have been um, suggested that two foreigners take that trail themselves. Mm-hmm. And they'd actually met with a potential guide earlier in the day and, and, they, and this guide had suggested that he'll take them on the trail, they can spend the night at his ranch and then come back. They had turned him down for some reason, but had agreed to come see him the next day. So it's kind of weird that they were then just like, but let's go on this. I think they were expecting it to be just a small casual hike. Okay. So I think they're smart to not spend the night at just a stranger's ranch. Right. That's probably what they were thinking. And yeah. they'll, they'll take a regular hike the next day. But so they just, I, it seems like they just wanted to take a nice hike and kill some time. Yeah. Um, so they planned the hike through the scenic forest around the Baru volcano, which is an active volcano. And that would bring them through the cloud forest, which is because the height is so fucking height did <laughs> the, it's through the clouds yeah and there's also waterfalls and shit amazing yeah uh judging by the clothes and what they brought with them they they obviously didn't plan on being there long they dressed in just shorts and tank tops and only brought a light backpack one of their passports a little bit of money their cell phones and a digital camera like they weren't planning to need more than a snack and some water nothing more than that this was not a long-term hike not at all yeah um they were never seen alive again no <sighs> Okay. So, so there, there's so much. One of the mysteries about this case is that there's so many different versions of it, of, you know, who this belonged to, what happened here. One of those things is that there was a dog that had started the, the hike with them, a dog named Blue that might have belonged to the host family. It might have belonged to the restaurant that they had had lunch at family. Um, but the dog had gone with them. And when the dog returned that evening without the girls, the family who the dog belonged to and the host family be- began to worry about where the girls were because, uh, the temperatures at night and the cloud forest would have been in the 50s and 60s at that elevation, which means hypothermia would have been a risk, especially since they were dressed so lightly. The host family searched around the area, around their home, and, you know, just some light searching, but decided to wait until morning to alert authorities, not really knowing. I don't think they, you know, the girls hadn't left behind a note saying where they were going. I don't think they knew that they were going just for a hike. So they could have been anywhere. Right. And they probably didn't, they didn't want to raise an alarm. Right. Immediately. Right. But by the next morning, on April 2nd, the women uh, hadn't shown up to their appointment with that local tour guide we had talked about, who was supposed to show them around. And so the teachers from the language school reported the uh, women missing to police. So the locals began to search for the women on foot, but the authorities, thinking the girls were just probably out partying or something and not actually missing, didn't begin the search until April 6th. Oh, no. So they had left on the 1st, and it wasn't until the 6th Mm. that they began to actually search, but the locals had been searching. Um, And at that point, the authorities asked the locals to stop searching so they could take over. And a a local named John Tornblum, he was a guide with more than 10 years of experience who had been looking for the girls. He said that, quote, the rescue operation was a total clusterfuck. Oh, no. Yeah. So when the families of the women found out that they were missing, and these were two really reliable girls, when they found out that their reliable daughters were missing, they flew straight to Panama. And they brought with them detectives from the Netherlands. 
So along with the local police, they searched the forest for 10 days using dogs, helicopters, and ground teams. The parents offered a $30,000 reward, but there was no sign and no trace of the women at all. Wow. Like they had disappeared. After a 10-day search without any leads, local authorities called the search off. Uh, I know. Then, about 10 weeks later, after the search was called off in mid-June 2014, an indigenous woman from the Nobi tribe brought Lizanne's blue backpack to the police. Whoa. She was like, yo, I fucking found this in a rice paddy and the banks of the river. The river was so powerful that the locals called it the serpent. So it was like a crazy river. She's mm. like, I fucking found it near a rice paddy near her village. Um, of Alta Romero. It was at least an eight hour walk from where the girls had last been seen. But she, the woman, the indigenous woman was like, it was not there the day before. I'm sure of it. Mm. So she brought it in. And I think everyone must have known at the time that they were looking for these two missing tourists. Yeah. Inside the backpack were two pairs of sunglasses, $83 in cash, uh, Lisanne's passport, a water bottle, Lisanne's camera, because she had brought a separate camera, two bras, and the women's phones. So I'm assuming the women were like, you know, when I got home today after our lunch, I took my bra off. That's the first thing I fucking did. Yeah. <laughs> it's just FYI. Sure. So I'm assuming that's why they were in there. Yeah. The police assumed they were like, oh, it must have traveled up the river and gotten caught in branches and shit. But here's the thing. The backpack was totally dry and everything in it, including the camera, was in working order. Okay. Right? So it was not probably not in water. No. Yeah. So... Both the info from the phones that were in there and the camera were able to tell like somewhat of a story of where the girls had traveled in their days following the disappearance. So of the f- with the phone, uh, the first emergency call had been attempted from Chris's home the night the girls were last seen on the first. So that night they had left around 11 o'clock in the afternoon to go hiking on what was supposed to be a four or five you know hour hike. And at 9.39 p.m. on April 1st, uh, someone tried to call emergency services from one of their phones. Um, But there's no signal. Right. They're in the fucking rainforest. They're in the cloud forest. That's right. Yeah. Then over the next four days, 77 attempts are made to call the authorities, the police, both using uh, 122, which is the emergency number in, in the Netherlands, and 911, which is the emergency number in Panama. So it's like, can you, like, what do you, who do you, if you end up, I call 911, right? right? Yeah. But I think it, uh, I think in any state now or any country now, you press 911 and it will go to emergency services. Right. That might not be true. I mean, if only. I think there's, yeah, there is. I remember this, but there was a story of like people trying to do it and it not going through (laughs) because they didn't have coverage or whatever, where it's like, if this is what you're trying to do. It'll go through no matter what. Yeah. And there's another thing. Like, it's 2014, which seems like not that long ago, but it is. Five years ago. Yeah. Digitally and technically, it's 10 years ago. Yeah. So, using the call logs, police are able to come up with an outline of the time the girls spent missing in the forests. Can you fucking imagine being... so scary. This is why I stay home (laughs) (laughs) at all times. Um, because they were in the jungle, out of the 77 calls that they made, only one managed to make contact with a signal, but it broke up between like one or two seconds later, <sighs> which is like even worse that they're like, oh my God, there's a signal. And then it fucking goes away. Yep. What a nightmare. After April 5th, uh, Lisanne's battery dies and the phone's not used again. But, uh, Chris's phone would not make any more calls either, but was intermittently used to search for reception. Mm. So there was no more like emergency 
emergency calls put out, but you could tell it was open and turned on. Then on April 6th, a bunch of unsuccessful attempts were made to unlock Chris's phone because she had a PIN number to unlock the phone. So someone got the phone and was trying to put the PIN number in, but they put the number in wrong. So it probably wasn't Chris or she was dehydrated and like couldn't think of the correct one. Exactly. It never received the correct number again. So it was never able to open again and try to reach emergency services. By April 11th, both phones were dead. Mm-hmm. All right. Now let's talk about Lisanne's camera. A Canon PowerShot SX270. Promo- I know it well. Promo code murder. <laughs> <laughs> On the, so the digital memory card had over 100 images found. And uh, strangely, the battery is still half full when the investigators get to it 10 weeks later. Whoa. So shout out to the Canon PowerShot. Yeah, they, that's a good battery, ladies and gentlemen. Yeah, but it also means that they hadn't been really using the camera that much. Right. And there was no like um, signal on it, so they couldn't track it with GPS on the camera itself. Right. Which I think you can now. Can you? Yeah. Well, also, you have to think like what they would, if they were panicking and walking what around is fucking, lost in the forest, yeah. they're not going to be like, hold on a second. Yeah. What's the camera going to do for you? Right. Nothing. And you would like to think that they would then start taking pictures to tell the story, but that's a very dark concept. It is. And then also they say that like a lot of people will use it to leave messages for their family or they'll leave a message uh, as to where they're going and how to find them, but those aren't found. Okay. However, mm. there are some photos found. Oh, a hundred. The Ooh. first of the photos on the camera are taken the morning that they left, April 1st. The women uh, are shown on the, the beginning of the trail for, towards the Continental Divide. There's nothing strange about them. They're fucking selfies. They're shit that 21 and 22-year-old girls would take. Scenery, you know, I'll take a photo of you, you of me, selfies together. They look happy and normal. All is going well. Um, but in the in the last few shots from that day, it looks as though the women are following the, an indigenous trail down the opposite side of the crest. Um, and it places them about an hour from the top of the divide. So that's part of where, you know, the indigenous people won't even go during the rainy season themselves. Like oh. it's just these, you know, weird trails and you're supposed to, I feel like a lot of people when they take a, a hike, they think the trail wraps around back to where they were going. <laughs> but this is one that you have to turn around and go back the other way. But there was no sign saying don't go further than this at the time. Right. So, um, they're still heading downhill away from Bukete. The last image uh, that we have of Chris Kremer's face is her turning to look back to the camera. And at this point, she uh, she seems uh, pissed off. She seems upset and distressed and like, where the fuck are we going? And why the fuck are you taking a photo of me right now? Like, we need to concentrate. Yeah. She seems upset. Yeah. Um, then things get strange. On April 8th, so they they went missing on the 1st, April 8th. 90 flash photos are taken between 1 a.m. and 4 a.m. Uh-uh, uh-huh. I don't like that. Apparently, they and I've seen the photos. It reminds me of that one crazy story with the snowstorm and the avalanche and like what happened to those people. Oh, the Dilatov Pass? Thank you. Mm-hmm. My God. <laughs> um, it's just like that where there's like weird photos that don't mean anything to us but have to mean something. Right. So you can tell they're deep in the jungle. Like there's in some of them, there's nothing in focus. You can just see the rain coming down and some rocks and trees and stuff it's in near complete darkness so the timing between photos is also interesting because they are vary from just a few seconds as fast as the camera could take them or 15 minutes apart and more so 
Uh, it shows that it was already raining pretty hard, and a few photos show that they were possibly near a river or ravine, and some photos show a twig. So it looks like they're taking photos of um, markers that they're setting up to mm. remind themselves either of where they have already gone through, so maybe they're act- making circles and are freaking out about it and like... We've already been here. Let's take a photo. Yeah. So they put a marker up with um, a twig with plastic bags and candy wrappers on top of a rock. And they also used a roll of toilet paper to spell something out on a boulder and put a rusty mirror in the center of the letters. Maybe it was to reflect the sunlight the next day and, and flag a passing helicopter. But uh, it's speculated that maybe these photos were taken as a reference point in an attempt to mark where they were, like I said. So to make sure they weren't... Uh, Going in circles. Right. Yeah. Or they were using the camera's flash to get light to see the path in front of them. Yes. Because the thing I keep thinking of, because that's what I thought of first. Yeah. Because of rear window, where you're like, you feel, because you're also in the jungle. Just the spiders alone. You don't even have to get into snakes. Spiders alone. Dude. So you and I are walking in the blackness of the jungle. They said something about jumping venomous snakes. No. No. So if you feel anything. Nothing. Then you're like, what's on me? And then that's the only way you would be able to see things. Oh, I don't like Like, what did I just walk into? What did I just hit? Like, you can't see in front of you. Yeah. You're lost in the jungle. Yeah. It's horrifying. Or is it to help searchers locate them with the flash? They think someone's trying to find them. So maybe they'll see the flash. Oh, yeah. Come get them. Um, The timestamp on these photos means that one of the women... That, 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 so it's the eighth at this point, which means that the women, one of them or both of them had already managed to survive more than a week without food or shelter in the wilderness. Wow. It's speculated that perhaps by now one of the women was badly hurt or perhaps even dead at this point. Uh, most likely that was Chris based on the photos and also she couldn't get into Leanne's phone. So, or, oh, right. Or yeah. no, wait, Leanne couldn't get into her phone. So, you know, cause she couldn't ask her about it. Yeah. Uh, and there's also a single close up photo that shows, it looks like it shows a wound to the right side of Chris's head in the temple area. And blood matting her distinctive strawberry blonde hair. So, I know. It's fucking awful. It's horrible. So sad. When the backpack is turned in, uh, there's a new search put together along the Serpent River where the backpack was found. There, Chris's jean shorts are found zipped up and folded neatly on top of a rock near where the backpack had been found. So, some say that uh, maybe that was a marker where they were, you know had been like let's put a marker here we have we've run out of stuff to put down um others say that the shorts were actually found in the river and someone else took them out and folded them up like thinking they were being helpful in some way or maybe the, and i was thinking maybe you know in hypothermia when you start taking your clothes off it yeah been that but they were zipped up and like folded and put down which yeah is, it wasn't like you'd be you'd toss it off and walk right away exactly so it was probably yeah, who knows? So two months later, after this is found, uh, this time even closer to where the backpack was discovered, a skeletal part of a pelvis, as well as a boot with a foot in still inside, were found. Ugh. I know. Soon, at least 33 scattered bones were discovered along the same riverbank. DNA tests confirmed that they belonged to the girls. 
So Lysanne's bones looked as if they had decomposed naturally because there was still bits of flesh attached to them. Mm-hmm. But Chris's bones were stark white and looked at, as if they had been bleached. So like maybe she had died and the sun had bleached her bones. But it was only two months later. So a Panamanian forensic anthropologist said that the that under mag- magnification, there was no marks on the bones at all. So this means... So I was like, okay, then they hadn't been stabbed. That was my first thought. Mm -hmm. But then I realized it also means that there is no claw marks or bite marks that would suggest scavengers, you know, tossing these 33 bones all over the fucking place. Right. So that's actually suspicious. Yes. Right. And uh, so and no marks would also indicate that they hadn't been broken up on the river rocks either. Like they hadn't been, you know, dying down the river. Exactly. Yeah. So the other thing is the scattered bones being found is weird because most drowning victims, as the locals will say, are usually found in one piece further downstream or they get stuck in like the rocks and are found later. And uh, the, sometimes they drag the river. Even a year later, the bodies are found intact. Right. So it's weird that they are found skeletal and like in little pieces like that as well. Yeah. A former cadaver lab supervisor said it's almost unheard of for drowning victims to break up into tiny fragments and, quote, almost impossible for it to happen in less than two months, which is the time between when the girls went missing in April when their, their bone shards were recovered in June. Yeah. At this stage of the search, proper police procedures. And so, of course, these are totally, you know, everyone is saying that they weren't followed and the police fucked up on this. Um and police procedures were largely were largely ignored. No search grid was made at the time, and no soil samples were taken, like from the backpack and from where they said it was found, or from the boots to where they had left to kind of just see where you know what was their route and where they gone. Maybe we can find more info. None of that was done. And when the backpack was finally fingerprinted. Um, over 30 different unidentified fingerprints were lifted from it. There were 13 on the backpack. This is according to uh, Scarlet, the Scarlet Letter blog that she wrote that um, 13 were on the backpack, 12 on the phones and camera, as well as six different ones on the bras. But see, there's no chain of command. So it could have just been like people freaked out at the police. They pulled stuff out and yes. there was no fingerprints, you know, no one's fingerprints. So no one taken. went back over and said, no, 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 this is the, uh, this is the woman who actually brought this in. Exactly. This is her family member. Right. Yeah, exactly. Okay. When forensic examiners couldn't decide if there was foul play or if it was an accident, the Panamanian government simply decided that the case was closed, thinking it was just a drowning. By November, the attorney general publicly announced that the women had died of a hiking accident after having been, quote, dragged to death in the river system. People theorized that they rushed to wrap these cases up to protect tourism, which is a huge part of the um, Panama economy. So further investigation by the Daily Beast. And so they got all these fucking unclassified documents somehow, like all the photos and the autopsy reports and all this shit they got a hold of, which is crazy. Daily Beast gets on it. Yeah, dude. I couldn't have written this whole piece without the investigation they had done. Yeah. So uh, further investigation 
by the Daily Beast writer into the case in 2017 uncovered enough new evidence to suggest foul play, as well as possible link to other murders in the area, including the Dutch girls. There have been at least 25 unsolved murders and disappearances in this remote rural area Whoa. since 2009. Victims include many locals. The majority of them are women and children, as well as tourists, including an American woman named Catherine Johannet, who was 23, who was murdered in February 2017. Um, some sources say the real number of disappeared could be higher. And there's, I mean, there's so many, I've stayed up all night fucking reading about this shit before. There's so many theories out there that maybe the government ignored or there was a cover up, um, or the remains were thrown in the river to get rid of them or deliberately planted. And, uh, there's all this like cartel hitmen and cannibals and, you know, some slightly fucking racist shit happening. Sure. Supernatural forces, organ traffickers, like this kind of thing. Um, and the local guide who was the last person to see them, remember who they turned down. Of course, he's become a suspect in a lot of the minds of, of people who are trying to figure out what happened. And he's fucking going crazy about it. Yeah. So, but to this day, the disappearance and deaths, as well as the mysterious, weird fucking clues left behind, make the death of Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon still a mystery. <sighs> and that is the disappearance and death of Chris Kremers and Lisanne Froon. Wow. You should, we'll put the photos up because they're creepy. I mean, and it's just so sad. These two girls in the prime of their life, you know, yeah, going to try to make a difference and to, you know, s start the, the beginning of the rest of their lives. And imagine, no matter what happened, what they went through is a horrifying. nightmare. Yeah. That's right. It, did, yeah, it's not. It's not always like they were. It's not always just because it's a murder. It's like it could just be you take a wrong turn. I personally, I think that that's what happened. Yeah, I personally think that. They got lost and everything that happened from the first on is two panicked women, you know, trying, trying to, trying to get home, just trying to get home. It makes me think of, you know, that happens in the Angeles National Forest a lot yeah. and you couldn't be closer to a major U.S. city. That's right. And people constantly are like, take a wrong turn and have to get helicoptered out yeah. of the, and you, and like also thinking of that as a forest when it's like, yeah. there's not that much, totally. you know what I mean? It's like, not, we're not talking about, um, you know, the black forest in Germany or right. something. It's like, it's pretty sparse, but it's nature. It's like, yeah. it's unpredictable. And you don't know what to do in an emergency half the time. Like, right. this is why I stay home. It's all, and, and it sounds like if they were like, oh, we're going to go for like a four hour hike. Yeah. They're not going to have flashlights. They're not going to have batteries of any kind. And they don't think they're going that far. They think they're, they're following a like well-known trail. But I was looking at the photos and some of it just looks like riverbeds, you know, when it looks like a trail, but it's actually not. Yeah. It just, it's, some of it's crazy that the, like the, the, the uh, walls of this trail go up around you. It's beautiful. It's gorgeous. Go fucking adventure and have fun. But but take a battery, a flashlight, um, a bunch of stuff. Yeah. Know your friend's password for their phone. Luna Bar. That's crazy. Isn't that crazy? Yeah. Wow. Good one. Thank you. Um, do you have a fucking hooray? <sighs> Absolutely. Good. All right. Mine is simple. Mm -hmm. Vince showed it to me last night. It's my new favorite Instagram. It brings me so much joy. It's just UPS dogs. Uh <laughs> and it's fucking UPS workers 
on their route and the dogs they meet along the way. Oh my god! And a lot of them are like, do- like they show at the foot of their truck the dog that they always see waiting for a treat. Look at that! <gasps> oh my god! Hey, and then sometimes it's a deer, and sometimes it's more dogs, <laughs> and there's one with a squirrel, and it's just like this. It's just dogs being happy to see the UPS drivers. <sighs> There's a couple dogs dressed as UPS drivers. It's the cutest. It's, it's the most brilliant marketing fucking thing I've ever seen in my it's life. So UPS. good. Also because those people really have to. There, there's. Um, I can't remember. Oh no, I can't remember if it's a uh, FedEx. If the guy that comes and brings stuff to me is FedEx, mm-hmm. I think he's FedEx actually, because George, my dog, sounds like a monster yeah. when she's in like an echoey hallway barking to make sure that the person doesn't yeah, come in the door. She's scary. scary sounding. And then I open the door and there's people who are like you know flinch yeah. or whatever and. The, she got past me and got <gasps> out and the guy was so sweet because I was like, mm. here's the lawsuit. Here, here it comes <laughs> yeah. or this lunatic dog. But all she wants to do is like scare the people. And then the second they yeah. pet her, she doesn't care what they do. I, it's so smart. It's yeah. so I mean, it must be so terrifying to be a male person or a fucking, yes. you know, delivery driver. And you just don't know how the dog's going to react to you. Also, just. Yeah, this As, is a great. Yeah, I just think it's brilliant. And it's incredible photos it's so good and i just was stressed out last night and just scrolled through it going look at this one he was the one who showed it to me look at this one it's really cute there's one with a raccoon who's just like stoked it's like they know their drivers you know is the driver giving the raccoon a tiny package (laughs) here's your pine cone sir and he takes it up to his house oh and then he writes a review on amazon of his pine cone uh this pine cone is a little sappy three and a half stars out of five <laughs> sappy i was definitely disappointed and heartbroken <laughs> that's, um, that's awesome mine is equally as simple but it's just that i have begun a swimming regimen yes. that is saving my life uh-huh. because i you know it, I overthink everything. Mm -hmm. So when I try to do get active and do make adjustments, I'm always like, yeah, but it's going to be this. Hi. Nice to meet you. Yeah. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) Hello, twin. Uh, But I've just been getting in that pool every single day because because also it's been boiling hot in Los Angeles. Yeah. Luckily. But the the way it feels afterwards, it's just like, ah, I get it. I get exercise now. I love it. It makes sense. So it's just very like calming and it makes me chill out and it makes me feel like I've done something good. So I don't have that like creepy self-loathing thing that I think I'm just a touch addicted to because we're attuned to it. Yes. Because it's what we're used to. Yeah. Yeah. So it's been really nice. And also then I can see the difference in the tone in my legs. Amazing. Like I can just, I can feel my clothes being slightly uh, less tight and it nice. feels great. So should we do what we did a while back of like do yoga once a week? <laughs> yeah. Like what if we do like everyone pick your one thing and do it once a week? Yeah. You don't have to do it every <laughs> All day. All of the listeners are like, yeah, we've been doing oh, it. Oh shit. <laughs> but no, let's do it. I mean, I haven't. I mean, yeah. I don't. Yeah, let's do it's it. It's hard. Let's reapproach it. Okay. It's the, like for me, exercise is hard because it makes me feel humongous and sweaty mm-hmm. and like I, my, you know, my, all my bones are going to break. Yeah. But of course, swimming is zero impact mm. and feels great and feels like you're really getting something done. Yeah. Everything counts. So yeah, we just build on, we take our small pieces and build. Yeah. That's the idea. Let's do it. Let's do it. 
Yay. Um, thanks for listening, guys. Guys, thanks for being here with us again. One more week. That's right. Uh, we love you. We do. We appreciate you. We definitely do. And um, stay sexy. And don't get murdered. Goodbye. Goodbye. Elvis, you want a cookie? <laughs> Good boy.